0: Section 11 of A Wonder Book for Girls and Boys. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Penn. A Wonder Book for Girls and Boys by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Introductory to the Three Golden Apples. The snowstorm lasted another day, but what became of it afterwards... I cannot possibly imagine. At any rate, it entirely cleared away during the night, and when the sun arose the next morning, it shone brightly down on as bleak a tract of hill country here in Berkshire as could be seen anywhere in the world. The frost work had so covered the window panes that it was hardly possible to get a glimpse at the scenery outside. But, while waiting for breakfast, the small populace of Tanglewood had scratched peepholes with their fingernails, and saw with vast delight that, unless it were one or two bare patches on a precipitous hillside, or the gray effect of the snow intermingled with the black pine forest, all nature was as white as a sheet. How exceedingly pleasant! And, to make it all the better, it was cold enough to nip one's nose short off. If people have but life enough in them to bear it, There is nothing that so raises the spirits and makes the blood ripple and dance so nimbly like a brook down the slope of a hill as a bright, hard frost. No sooner was breakfast over than the whole party, well muffled in furs and woolens, floundered forth into the midst of the snow. Well, what a day of frosty sport was this! They slid downhill into the valley a hundred times, nobody knows how far and, to make it all the merrier, upsetting their sledges and tumbling head over heels quite as often as they came safely to the bottom. And once Eustace Bright took Periwinkle, Sweet Fern, and the squash blossom on the sledge with him by way of ensuring a safe passage, and down they went, full speed. But, behold, halfway down the sledge hit against a hidden stump and flung all four of its passengers into a heap, and on gathering themselves up there was no little squash blossom to be found. Why, what could have become of the child? And while they were wondering and staring about, up started squash blossom out of a snowbank, with the reddest face you ever saw, and looking as if a large scarlet flower had suddenly sprouted up in midwinter. Then there was a great laugh. When they had grown tired of sliding downhill, Used to set the children to digging a cave in the biggest snowdrift that they could find. Unluckily, just as it was completed and the party had squeezed themselves into the hollow, down came the roof upon their heads and buried every soul of them alive. The next moment, up popped all their little heads out of the ruins, and the tall student's head in the midst of them, looking hoary and venerable with the snow dust that it got amongst his brown curls and then to punish cousin eustace for advising them to dig such a tumble-down cavern the children attacked him in a body and so bepelted him with snowballs that he was fain to take to his heels so he ran away and went into the woods and thence to the margin of shadow brook where he could hear the streamlet grumbling along under great overhanging banks of snow and ice which would scarcely let it see the light of day there were adamantine icicles glittering around all its little cascades thence he strolled to the shore of the lake and beheld a white untrodden plain before him stretching from his own feet to the foot of monument mountain and it being now almost sunset eustace thought that he had never beheld anything so fresh and beautiful as the scene he was glad that the children were not with him for their lively spirits and tumble-about activity would quite have chased away his higher and graver mood, so that he would merely have been merry, as he had already been in the whole day long, and would not have known the loveliness of the winter sunset among the hills. When the sun was fairly down, our friend Eustace went home to eat his supper. After the meal was over, he betook himself to the study with a purpose, I rather imagine, to write an ode, or two or three sonnets, or verses of some kind, other in praise of the purple and golden clouds which he had seen around the setting sun but before he had hammered out the very first rhyme the door opened and primrose and periwinkle made their appearance go away children i can't be troubled with you now cried the student looking over his shoulder with the pen between his fingers what in the world do you want here i thought you were all in bed "'Hear him, Periwinkle, trying to talk like a grown man,' said Primrose, "'and he seems to forget that I am now thirteen years old "'and may sit up almost as late as I please. "'But, Cousin Eustace, you must put off your airs "'and come with us to the drawing-room. "'The children have talked so much about your stories "'that my father wishes to hear one of them "'in order to judge whether they are likely to do any mischief.' Pooh, pooh," Primrose,' exclaimed the student." rather vexed. I don't believe I can tell one of my stories in the presence of grown people. Besides, your father is a classical scholar. Not that I am much afraid of his scholarship, neither, for I doubt not it is as rusty as an old case knife by this time. But then he will be sure to quarrel with the admirable nonsense that i put into these stories out of my own head, and which makes the great charm of the matter for children like yourself." "'No man of fifty, who has read the classical myths in his youth, "'can possibly understand my merit as a reinventor and improver of them.' "'All this may be very true,' said Primrose, "'but come, you must. "'My father will not open his book, nor will Mamma open the piano, "'till you have given us some of your nonsense, as you very correctly call it. "'So be a good boy, and come along.' "'Whatever he might pretend,' The student was rather glad than otherwise, on second thoughts, to catch at the opportunity of proving to Mr. Pringle what an excellent faculty he had in modernizing the myths of ancient times. Until twenty years of age, a young man may, indeed, be rather bashful about showing his poetry and his prose. But, for all that, he is pretty apt to think that these very productions would place him at the tip-top of literature, if once they could be known. Accordingly, without much more resistance eustace suffered primrose and periwinkle to drag him into the drawing-room it was a large handsome apartment with a semicircular window at one end in the recess of which stood a marble copy of grinot's angel and child on one side of the fireplace there were many shelves of books gravely but richly bound the white light of the astral lamp and the red glow of the bright coal fire made the room brilliant and cheerful and before the fire in a deep armchair sat Mr. Pringle, looking just fit to be seated in such a chair, and in such a room. He was a tall and quite handsome gentleman, with a bald brow, and was always so nicely dressed that even Eustace Bright never liked to enter his presence without at least pausing at the threshold to settle his shirt-collar. But now, as Primrose had hold of one of his hands and periwinkle of the other, he was forced to make his appearance with a rough and tumble sort of look, as if he had been rolling all day in a snowbank. And so he had. Mr. Pringle turned toward the student benignly enough, but in a way that made him feel how uncombed and unbrushed he was, and how uncombed and unbrushed likewise were his mind and thoughts. Eustace, said Mr. Pringle with a smile. I find that you are producing a great sensation among the little public of Tanglewood by the exercise of your gifts of narrative. Primrose here, as the little folks choose to call her, and the rest of the children, have been so loud in praise of your stories that Mrs. Pringle and myself are really curious to hear a specimen. It would be so much the more gratifying to myself as the stories appear to be an attempt to render the fables of classical antiquity into the idiom of modern fancy and feeling. At least, so I judge from a few of the incidents which have come to me at second hand. "'You are not exactly the auditor that I should have chosen, sir,' observed the student, "'for fantasies of this nature.' "'Possibly not,' replied Mr. Pringle. "'I suspect, however, that a young author's most useful critic "'is precisely the one whom he would be least apt to choose.' Pray oblige me, therefore. Sympathy, methinks, should have some little share in the critic's qualifications, murmured Eustace Bright. However, sir, if you will find patience, I will find stories. But be kind enough to remember that I am addressing myself to the imagination and sympathies of the children, not to your own. Accordingly, the student snatched hold of the first theme which presented itself. It was suggested by a plate of apples that he happened to spy on the mantelpiece. End of Section 11